Well, I'm starting another week sitting in my bunker. Not really, but sitting in my home office. Feels like a bunker at times. Waiting for this pandemic to end. Is this thing ever going to end? I thought it was ending for a little while there, and it's kind of come roaring back a little bit, at least where I am. We're in Texas, and so we've had a uptick of cases, but hopefully it'll end soon. As I've talked about on this podcast and on my YouTube channel, it's all about staying creative, staying busy, and being a filmmaker is one way to do that. So I am thankful for that. But enough about the pandemic. Let's talk about our favorite topic, gear. Yes, video gear. And in this case, mobile video gear. Sometimes I catch myself spending, I mean, seriously, like hours online looking at stuff that I'm going to buy, watching YouTube videos, getting on B&H, Amazon, pricing out things. And of course, what happens more times than not, I never buy it. It's a lot like daydreaming, I guess, especially for filmmakers. But for my guest today, it's not daydreaming at all. It's actually his day job. And if you follow mobile video and mobile filmmaking at all, you have definitely heard of this company and maybe him, but for sure his company. What company am I talking about? B-Script. Hey guys, Blake Calhoun and another episode of Almost Professional, the podcast about mobile filmmaking, DIY filmmaking, indie filmmaking, really all things filmmaking. And my guest today is Vadim Chilinko. If you don't know his name, you definitely know his company, Bscript. For me, Bscript was one of the first companies out there that I took notice of because, I mean, to be really honest, I always thought their gear just looked really cool. I eventually bought some myself and I have to say, it is some of my favorite mobile filmmaking gear there really is. Now, before you think this is an advertisement for Bscript or some sort of sponsored podcast, it's not. I've been a fan of this company for years and I've interacted with them a little bit on Twitter. I've actually never met them in person. And this podcast conversation was the first time I actually talked to him. Before I get into the conversation with Vadim, just a quick reminder that if you want to learn more about mobile filmmaking and mobile video production, definitely check out my YouTube channel, and that is The iPhoneographers. Or for a deeper dive into mobile filmmaking topics, consider checking out one of my courses. I have an academy section on my website at iPhoneographers.tv, and there's a link in the show notes of this episode. My current courses are The Complete Guide to Filmic Pro, Smartphone Cinematography 101, LumaFusion Color Grading 101, and Make a Movie Today. I also have a new course I'm working on that's all about smartphone audio production. That's been a recurring request I get, and so I've decided to tackle that topic in my next course. And that's coming soon, later this summer, 2020. Now here is my conversation with Vadim, talking all about Bscript. All right, Vadim, thank you very much for being on the show. You are the one of the co-founders of Bscript, is that correct? Yes, hi Blake. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And uh, my name is Vadim Chalanko, and I'm a founder of Bscript, and we make cool gear for smartphone filmmaking and photography. Yeah, I think most people in the mobile video and mobile filmmaking realm especially know of Bscript, there's no question. And I think it mainly re revolves around the Bscript Pro. That is maybe still, or it for sure was, and I think it really still is, one of the more popular iPhone or all smartphone camera cages. But I don't think a lot of people know much about you guys or your company. Can you tell me a little bit about when you started and why you started the company? Are you a filmmaker or are you an entrepreneur? Are you both? Mm, I'm the mix of different things. So, yes. Uh... I started the company back in 2012. Uh, actually, that's when I started to working on this idea of uh, universal rig for smartphones. And actual company was uh, founded in uh, 2013. So I basically spent one year uh, developing uh, the Bsgrip, the first version. And 
in 2013, that's when I uh, established the company and I did launch a first Kickstarter campaign to raise some funds to create a universal rig for smartphones. And uh, right now we have a Bisgri Pro, it's like a next version of that rig, and it's still the best-selling product that we have. Yeah, but we're trying to expand, you know, to introduce new gear, optics, and app, a lot of different things, just, you know, to give creators tools that they want, and uh, because everyone has own preferences, and you cannot create one perfect solution for everyone, so. Right. Well, let me ask you this. You, where are you guys based? Are you in Chicago? Is that right? Uh, yeah, we, uh, we had our office back in Chicago in, in city, but then we moved about three years ago to uh, Des Plaines. It's like 20 miles from Chicago. Just, okay. Yeah. Well, you're, you're originally from, I'm assuming, Eastern Europe. Yeah. Where are you from? I'm from Ukraine. And are you, have you lived, did you start the company there or have you lived in the United States your whole life or where, what's your background? Oh, I lived in different countries. So I was actually born in Moldova then moved to Russia then to Ukraine. And since 2005, I'm here in States. And yeah, so. Well, that's cool. That's, that's a great, that's a great story. You've come here and created this company. And I think that's interesting. Now, do you have an interest in filmmaking yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I've been doing like, uh, some art and graphic design. Then I started photography and, um, I was kind of, uh, looking to get into the video and, uh, I was actually shopping for, you know, some cameras that can record video. And it was back in 2012 when Galaxy S3 came out and iPhone, I believe 4S. And uh, like, to be honest, before I was one of those guys who's like, no, smartphones are not for photography or for video, you know, it's a joke. <laughs> but then when I uh, tried uh, Galaxy S3 was my first phone that could record uh, 1080p, I was kind of surprised with the quality I could get from that phone. So I just started to think about, you know, different ideas, how I can utilize it more efficiently and you know, to add some accessories, to use my tripods, to use my, I don't know, lights, stuff like that. So that's how this whole idea started. And uh, yeah, from, from that time, since 2012, that's what I'm doing full time. Well, yeah, you bring up the idea of using your phone in photography and in video in a more professional way, I guess. And or if you didn't say that, I think you implied it. And that's what your company to me, it's what it's really all about. When you look over your your product line, it is taking your smartphone and pushing it to the limit. And a lot of people, as you alluded to, don't really see smartphones in that way. They see them as things to use for your kid's birthday party, as I always say, or just doing, I don't know, travel. You know, you're going on a trip and you're shooting video. But obviously, a lot of people, including, you know, A-list Hollywood folks like Steven Soderbergh, have used them in, there's just a wide, a wide way to use them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But tying it into B-Script, what is your company's philosophy, I guess? Is, that, is it to push the technology to get it into more professional productions? Or is it more for just the idea of promoting, or maybe not promoting, but just getting smartphones out to the world? You know what I'm saying? When I'm looking back to when I started this and, you know, if you take older phones and see the quality of that video is right now I'm kind of surprised that I even started that, you know, because how fast the smartphone camera technology is changing and improving. And I see that my vision is, you know, in the near future, I think more and more people will look at the smartphone as an any other camera. It's not just, you know, oh, it's a smartphone. It's just another tool, another camera. You know, it comes with its own limitations, but it also comes with a bunch of different, you know, advantages compared to classic cameras, I would say. So it's not like our vision trying to, I don't know, replace something. We're just trying to make some tools that can, you know, be utilized to uh, use your smartphone camera in a better way and achieve better results and just have your smartphone as another tool in your 
tool set. That's it. It's just, you know, another type of camera. And I think, uh, I really believe that more and more people are going to, you know, realize that and just accept it as a, as a normal camera. Uh, there is nothing, you know, wrong about smartphones, filming with smartphones. It just, from my experience, when we're attending all these trade shows, many people still, they don't even think about it as a camera, you know? They didn't even try to do anything with that while they haven't, like, latest smartphones. And, yeah, I think it has a great feature, so... No, I agree with you completely. And that's actually how I use phones more in my in my work. My YouTube channel is all about mobile filmmaking and iPhones and iPads and all kind anything to do with mobile video and audio. But in my work, my client work and even on my YouTube channel, I don't use exclusively phones for sure. Yep. More times than not, I supplement stuff with my phone. Now there's some jobs I shoot everything on my phone. And then there's some jobs I'll use my a Sony mirrorless and a black magic camera and even a red camera. And I'll use a phone as a B camera. And so I think that's where your stuff comes into play. You can outfit your phone to make it easier to use on, you know, on a professional shoot. That's for sure. Yep. And the thing too is with, I agree with you back in 2012 with the iPhone five or 4S. I mean, when I look back, it is pretty amazing because Back then, I think it was 720p, even, or maybe, and they, they just started 1080 on the Apple side. Yeah. And so technology has changed dramatically. I mean, now with the iPhone 11, you can get really stellar results. There's obviously still limitations like the small sensor and low light. But as a B roll camera in particular, I think you can't beat it. Depending on what you're doing, it can be a great A camera as well. But that kind of is the point. It depends on what you're doing. For some people, they look to iPhones as a cost savings, meaning you want to make an indie film or a short film, all you have is your phone. And that's fine. I, I support that completely. I don't look at it as a cost savings. For me, I just look at it as another tool. And in some respects, a better tool depending on the job because you, it's so portable and so mobile. Do you agree with that? I do agree. And actually, in our case, since day one, when we started, when I started this company, and and uh, till today, we never used camera for video. All of our content, all of the content, video content, we shoot exclusively on smartphones, and ninety nine point nine percent of that is iPhones. Uh, with photography, we still use like Sony cameras, you know, to take product shots. I still think smartphones. It's really hard to achieve some, you know results for like e-commerce if you really want to have nice photos of your products and stuff like that but for all of the video content we just use smartphones we never used cameras so that's works for us i've noticed that and you guys use your i think you guys use your your uh, dof adapter quite a bit to give more of a uh, shallow depth of field more of a dslr kind of look is that right yes we we use all kind of lenses uh you know and it's I mean, for us, it's works great, and it's actually, I think, our philosophy, if we're trying to sell somebody, you know, gear for smartphone filmmaking, we better use that gear. You no, know, I, that's our, a good point, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, uh, even for our Kickstarter videos, and uh, we always use smartphones only. So, yeah, I think if you really believe in your product and in this whole, you know, iPhoneography and phoneography thing, why would you use, um, you know, professional cameras to shoot content about your products? It's just my opinion, you know, that's what we're using, and I think it's uh, just showing that we believe in our stuff and in this whole movement, so. No, I think that's great. And it's it's funny because when you talk about professional filmmaking and professional products, whenever Apple does a, a promo for the iPhone, whatever the iPhone it is, it seems like they always end up using the B-Script Pro. Is that something that you approach them about using or do they approach you or is that just something that happened organically? I think it's happened, uh, if you remember a Bentley commercial video that was shot back in 2013 or 14. Yep, definitely by remember that, yep. Austin Riza. So actually that's how everything started for us. Uh, Austin, he did reach out to me, uh, you know, asking if I can send him some gear and provide with some 
technical support because his idea is to shoot, you know, uh, like commercial video with iPhone. So I didn't know. Who is know this again? Austin Riza. Okay. Is he a D is he a DP or a director? Uh, I think he he has a like a small company. Is he's doing okay. like some you know commercials and yeah. So I didn't know at that time what's he gonna do, but you know I kind of sent him a couple of rigs and gave him some recommendations about lenses. We didn't have any lenses at that time, and then that Bentley video came out. So that's how everything started <laughs> for us, because uh, at some point of time after you know uh, some exposure from that video, I had to kind of shut down my website because I couldn't keep up with orders. And uh, my first product was actually made in my basement with 3D printers, you know, so everything was like 3D printed and <laughs> assembled by hand. And uh, yeah, so that I think when kind of Apple saw us, you know, from that point, because it was a lot of publications about uh, that video and uh, about my company. And after that, um, yeah, somebody from Apple reached out to me, you know, also asking about some like technical support, what rigs I could recommend. And uh, a lot of those Apple commercials starts to come up, you know, and they've been using uh, our rigs and a lot of those projects. So, yeah, I mean, that's some great promotion for sure. I, I did a breakdown video of the Snowbrawl. Yeah. And that was an awesome project. And the B-Script Pro is rigged all over that video, which is pretty neat to see. Yeah, and I, I didn't even know about that project. It's like a lot of those projects, they never tell you, you know, and it's just coming out and you're like, oh, what Apple just released? And it's like, <laughs> you know, good surprise. <laughs> yeah, hey, that that's good, though. Is that one reason that you guys focus on iPhone or is it just your preferred platform or your preferred device? You know, it's... I started with Android and for some time I was like Android guy, you know, <laughs> but then uh, when I actually started a company and uh, start spending more time, you know, researching and looking for the apps and uh, all the things, especially with DOF adapter, I, DOF adapter, I made my DIY uh, back in 2013. So I was always trying to kind of shoot to get this, you know, shallow depths of field. And I just couldn't find any apps on Android at all. At that time, I think Filmic had already uh, DUF uh, integration. And, uh, you know, so we started to focus more on uh, iPhones to shoot content for us. But when we uh, designed BizGrip Pro, of course, our idea was to support as many devices as possible. But then when we introduced optics, uh, first lens uh, from Pro Series was a uh, Kenko Pro Series lens. We started to work on other lenses and we quickly realized it's really hard to, you know, adopt different lenses with Android phones just because of the form factor. Yeah. And there's so many different models, obviously. Different models and uh, multi-camera setups got introduced and all this weird bumps and shapes and protrusions, you know. <laughs> uh, but with iPhones, everything was kind of consistent. So we were able consistently improve and maybe update our universal rig and everything works fine, you know. But then I think the biggest limitation is actual software on Android. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have all of the latest Android phones, like from major brands. And believe me, I have such a hard time <laughs> trying to record something with those smartphones. And it just, I don't know, it just doesn't work well. And especially with apps, even native apps, like I have so many issues, you know, with native camera apps when it doesn't work the way it has to work. And I'm not even talking about third party apps, you know, because it's just like a disaster. So that's the main reason, you know, we try and we try to kind of focus our attention on everything and give people, you know, tools for all kinds of phones. But in reality, it's like really hard to to do something for Android, you know, so. Well, at least the B-Script Pro is more universal. Like the Beast Cage and those are obviously designed for a certain device. Yes. And we always have questions like why you 
don't want to design for Android, you know, and uh, with Apple, once they release product, you have all the technical drawings. So for us to design something, it's, it's not that, you know, hard because you have some references with Android, you have to measure, you have to kind of, you know, the actual development process is so much harder to do. And we did try to communicate with Samsung, with Google, you know, just to get some insights on maybe on some program, you know, for case manufacturers, right? They have early access to new models and they just don't seem to be interested, you know, so. Yeah, I don't, it seems like at least what I find on the video side, especially iPhone just kind of rules. They are, I'm not saying they're the best. I do think they're the best, but I'm just saying from a customer perspective, more people shoot video and buy apps and buy gear with iPhones than they do with Android. At least that's my anecdotal observation. But then recently, Moment quit supporting Android in their app. And so I think they've run into the same thing where it's just, there's just too many different phones to support and not enough, not enough sales, I guess, for lack. I mean, that's probably, it comes down to numbers in the end. So yeah, because we also launched our iOS app just a couple of days ago. And when we started, I mean, we've been kind of planning and working on that for a very long time. And our initial goal was, yeah, we want to create both apps for both platforms, you know. But all of those years when I'm, I'm kind of, you know, trying to use Filmic with Android phones, I just can see day after day how many issues there are, you know? And I think it's just like practically impossible to create the apps that just gonna work. And you don't want to create apps that not gonna perform well. And you have all these customers who are disappointed. And, you know, I can't even imagine how to provide a customer support <laughs> for something like that. You know, I think yeah. it's, a, it's a big, big issue. And I think that's one reason Moment bowed out of the Android space. Filmic Pro has hung in there and they do a pretty good job supporting both. And the app has some features on Android that doesn't have on iOS and vice versa. It just depends on how, how it interacts with the hardware. So, but it's gotta be, it's a tough job for sure. And you brought up your app. Let me, let's talk about that. You've been known as a hardware company since your inception, really. And I, and I've heard rumors and I've talked to you on Twitter a couple of times over the last few years yep. about your app and it has been in progress for a while. What made you want to get into the app game? Actually, we found a, an Instagram post that we did seven years ago <laughs> about app. So back in 2013, or maybe six years ago, 14, because even when we did launch our second Kickstarter for Beast Grip Pro, we had a banner that we are working on app. That's when we started working on that. Okay, so it's been in, it's been in the pipeline for a long time. It just, has, it just hadn't materialized until recently. Yeah, and then we kind of put it on hold just because, you know, we didn't have time for that. And a lot of other apps were coming out, you know, ton of great apps. So we kind of like, ah, we better concentrate on hardware. But then, you know, it's always was like on my mind. And about two and a half years ago, that's when we decided, okay, let's let's do this, you know, let's really put our resources and time and money and let's try to create just, you know, another app that is different. And uh, because to be honest, uh, when we shoot everything with iPhones, right? And I did try a lot of different apps. And it's always like you find one app has one set of great features, another one, another set of great features. And then overall, I couldn't find apps that gonna work for me the way I want, you know, so with great user interface and ergonomics. And that was our kind of goal and mission to create apps that just has really good practical, you know, experience and optimized for better workflow. So that's what we're trying to achieve. What's the big selling point of your app? What sets it apart from, say, Filmic Pro or or Mavis or the Moment Pro camera app? Yeah, so first, uh, I think uh, our user interface is better optimized for actual practical use. And uh, just 
couple examples. You know, different people have different uh, shooting styles, right? But for me, one of the most important things, for example, when you shoot with DF, it's a very specific <laughs> example, but we shoot a lot of that thing. You know, just the whole setup process for DF requires a lot of precise settings for your focus zoom and then for me a big thing is white balance when we shoot we always trying to keep our white balance uh, in proper settings and sometimes you know you have maybe uh, some app crashed or whatever happened or you change some of the lenses and you need some correction we try to give all of those controls uh, so user able to set them up very precisely and they can replicate the same controls every single time they need to so all of the sliders we have, they can be adjusted, you know, with arrows so you can have precise steps. All of the menus built for as little taps as possibly can be, because if you try to use our app, you can access all of the controls just with few taps. And if you try to replicate the same settings in other apps, you will see how many more taps you need to do. It may not sound like very important, but when you shoot a lot and when you're constantly changing your lenses your equipment you need to re uh, reset up your camera it actually saves you a ton of time but i think the biggest difference is in uh presets basically we did presets that uh, can be shared between devices and if you're logged in with the same uh, id on multiple devices you have presets available on every single device so just to give you an example we record a lot of things in our studio i have preset for my studio and if i'm changing my device i have the same preset on my 11 pro 11 pro max if we have different angles you know at least things like white balance everything is the same so actual setup with multiple devices becomes very quick and easy you know yeah. Now, are you are you able to um, regarding presets? And I've I've played with your app some. I haven't really used it a ton. I've definitely played with it. Are you able to save a shutter speed and be able to recall that? Yes. Because that's a big one. That's. I mean, I know your the device is designed to create the best ISO. I guess the best to have the lowest video noise, and so it'll automatically raise or lower the shutter as needed. But if you could lock it at 148 and just say, don't move, that's pretty cool. With presets, because we have, we call it uh, global presets. So basically whatever settings of your camera you have on your iPhone, you can save it. Okay. And whatever combination of those settings, you can save it. So you can save like millions of different presets that are different. You know, also, I would say one of the big advantages of preset functionalities that we in integrated, um, we automatically save all of the settings of your camera before you kill your app or if, you know, if app crashed, for example. So when you launch app, you can recall those settings, including everything, like whatever you had, whatever input, whatever uh, grids, white balance, focus zoom, every single setting is saved automatically. So when you launch app, you can just apply less settings and you are ready to shoot again. And because again, from our experience, when we try to record something with DFs and switch to anamorphic and every single time, if you have one device, you spend a lot of time just to resetting and like applying different settings for a camera. And when just your camera crashed, for example, and you have your DUF and you start to reapply all the settings, you're going to spend like at least one minute of your time just to reapply those settings. Yeah. And then they won't be, then they, then they necessarily won't be the same either. Exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. And with iPhones, you know, your question about shutter speed in our app, yes, you can do that, but one of the limitations of the iPhone, because with iPhone, when you set up your exposure, it has a different modes, how your exposure is locked. Right. And in case when you apply in preset, it's kind of applying all of the settings initially in Apple calls it manual mode. And exactly the same settings for your exposure in manual mode and in auto locked mode, gonna give you a different picture. So that's one of the limitations of iPhones, you know. So I would say the best way with exposure, if you're using ND filters so you can control your shutter speed, that's great. 
but when we shoot, we always try to let the camera to analyze the scene, lock your exposure, correct it if needed, and then shoot. Because you can get really different results. It doesn't matter which app you're going to use. Every single app going to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a lot of, you know, limitations, but uh, it's still the best uh, smartphone for the video. And I think our kind of goal was to embrace some of the tools and technologies that Apple has and that you can implement in the app just to give user more options and more flexibility, you know, setting up your camera and managing files and, uh, yeah, just make better user experience, I guess. Does the app interact with the hardware at all, like the lenses you sell or anything like that? No, there is no integration uh, with uh, lenses because everything is like mechanical optical, right? There is no right. uh, uh, actual integration. But yeah, even with presets uh, for DUF, you know, you can save your preset and it just like two taps to apply your settings to shoot with DUF. So that was kind of our vision, you know, just to give user all these tools and let them create whatever they want to create. Because, you know, like if you look at some of the apps, they're giving you some set of tools that are just kind of fixed, right? That's what you can do with our presets and file management and all this like, you know, it's like editing software. You can achieve same kind of looking result, applying different tools and everyone has own, you know, workflow. The same with our app, you can kind of utilize one piece from this feature and another one from that, and it's going to be completely different than somebody else going to use, you know? So there is so much flexibility. I think it's hard. We try to kind of explain in our first tutorial videos, and I went quickly through like basics. But if you really start to kind of understand the logic behind some of those features, I think, uh, yeah, many people are gonna be gonna be happy, you know, just to kind of see what this app can do for them. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, diving in a little bit more. Again, I've looked at it and played with it, but I haven't done a lot with it. But you know, you keep talking about the DOF adapter, which I played with that some too, and I want to get your thoughts on that. Did you had you worked with DOF adapters before? Like back in the day, I had used lettuce adapters with my HDB cameras. Is that where your inspiration came from? Uh, no, I when I started shooting with smartphones, like one of those biggest limitations, you have fixed lens. <laughs> Everything is in focus. You don't have any like depths of you know shallow depths of field. Right. Uh, so I was just kind of researching, you know, what can be done to fix that. And I found a, about uh, depth of field adapters, lattice, and I believe Red was about to introduce depth of field adapters back in the day. Mm -hmm. And that's how I kind of started doing that. And with my first Kickstarter, I actually have one of the updates, uh, you know, a tutorial how to make a DIY depth of field adapter because I did use it in my Kickstarter video. So I had a lot of those questions, you know, how were you able to shoot with smartphone and achieve shallow depths of field? So that's like DUF adapter, I, it's got my interest back from 2012 when I started to actually trying to shoot something with a smartphone. Yeah, and with our second Kickstarter, we released like, uh, you know, kind of DIY type of version of depth of field adapter. Uh, but then with our third Kickstarter, we actually launched for DOF MK2 adapter where we built pretty much everything from scratch. Well, who, who do you say is the market for that? Because as we talked about earlier, a lot of people like, using their iPhone or mobile filmmaking because it is more of a minimalist approach. It's easier, it's portable. Yep. But obviously when you shoot with a DOF adapter, it's not, it's not that at all anymore. It's, it's a cool look. There's no question. Yep. What is your, you know, your sales pitch, I guess, or your philosophy behind that gearing it towards mobile filmmakers? Is it for people wanting to create a bigger look, a more traditional movie look for people doing short films or commercials and that kind of thing? Yeah, I just, you know, first we wanted to, I wanted to create uh, some tools that just gonna improve the overall look of that footage, you know, and I think shallow depths of field, it's like one of those things that gonna separate regular smartphone footage from 
footage shot with DOF adapter because you can clearly see, okay, it doesn't look like it was shot on a smartphone. It has a lot of limitations. If you don't mind to experiment and try to push the limits and you really want to kind of play with it and achieve those different, you know, styles and shallow depths of field, it's a fun tool to play with. You know, it's not going to replace DSLR or mirrorless camera in no way. <laughs> we never advertise it this way, but it just one of those tools that just going to give you a completely different look. Yeah. Have, have you seen that short film, No Hard Feelings? Yes, we did. Yeah, that turned out great. And I remember when I first saw it, I instantly thought, wow, that was shot on an iPhone. I actually kind of questioned it. But then I interviewed the DP of that, and sure enough, it was. And yeah. they had a really cool uh, look with that film that you just couldn't have shot with a traditional phone. Because it not only is shallow depth of field, the ground glass, for lack of a better word, or whatever, it adds that texture to the image mm -hmm. that you get. Yeah. And it's not just the lens, it's the actual DOF adapter. And so it makes it, you know, it's a cliche thing to say, but it absolutely makes it more cinematic and more filmic. It really does. Yes. And like in my personal, you know, experience, if I'm trying to achieve something with my phone, I don't mind to have some extra tools. I don't have this mindset like, hey, mobile, you have to keep your phone in your pocket and ready to shoot at any time. That's all you need. That's mobile. Everything else, you know, it doesn't make sense. It's like, why, why are you using your phone? Just get a proper camera. I don't have that, you know. I'm like, whatever I can use to achieve the results that I'm trying to achieve, I'm going to use it, you know. I think there is still a lot of room for improvement. And since we released MK2 version, we constantly working and we have working prototypes that we never show to anyone. But you see the problem with this type of product. It's like you can't find commercially companies that can produce some of the components. Because in our case, in DOF MK2, we are using Canon focusing screens. You know, it's not a perfect ground glass, but it's better uh, than any other ground glass that you can try to make commercially uh, by yourself, you know. But we have some working prototypes with a completely different technology of the focusing screen, a completely different optical system. There is no companies that we could find right now that can commercially make some of those components. So that's like another challenge, you know, but DOF is my personal favorite tool that I love to use. And because I've been shooting with that so many times, I can kind of, you know, set up everything with my closed eyes and I don't find it in any way, you know, uh, challenging or tough to work with? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's not challenging for me because I know what I'm gonna re achieve with this adapter, what type of quality, and I'm not expecting anything more than it is. And I know all of these limitations, and it just to me it's like naturally to shoot with DF the same way as I would shoot with no lens at all. You know, <laughs> it's just the same. So I guess everything is like you know some practice and. There are a lot of other projects that Apple did shooting with DF. It was a bucket video for Chinese New Year two years ago. Okay. Everything was shot with DF. They removed this video because after one year, they removed the video from YouTube channel. And then some other like commercials and stuff like that. And in some cases, they are not shooting exclusively with DF adapters. They just use some of the, you know, shots. And you may not even notice like that something was shot with DF adapters. So yeah, I mean, I, I was torn on whether I would want to use one or not. But after playing with it, I do find it really interesting. It's not something that I probably would use that much. But I do think it's really kind of fun that you can do that with your phone. And especially, again, depending on what kind of project. Although if you're trying to make a movie and you're an indie filmmaker, I think it could be a pretty interesting way to go. I do. Yeah, and in our case, I mean, we have some samples videos that were shot completely with DF adapter. But in other cases, we just integrate some of the, you know, uh, pieces of the footage that was shot with DOF, just if you want to show some close-up or uh, like to get this, you know, look and feel. 
and it just integrates beautifully. You can combine, you know, anamorphic footage with DOF if everything is the same aspect ratio, proper, you know, color grading. Everything looks just fine, you know, like it just looks normal. You don't even see <laughs> that, you know, it was shot with DOF. I mean, it all depends, but I think it's a great tool when you use it at the right scenario for a right, you know, results that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I, that, that's all. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. You mentioned with the DOF not being able to find different manufacturers to help make a different or a newer type version. Regarding your lenses that you guys make, do you guys, I'm assuming you work with another company to produce those? Yes, so we work with Kotakina in Japan. Uh, so they did our pro series, our first pro series lens. They also making filters for us right now. Plus some um, for DOF, we also use uh, Kenko filters and some uh, bayonet mounts actually are made in Japan by Kenko. So that's our one of our uh, manufacturers. Plus they are distributors in Japan for our products. Another one we have from day one company in China. So they usually do optical design for us. We do mechanical sometimes, you know, it's like a collaborative process because we don't have optical engineers in house. We do all mechanical work. And then we have another one or two companies that we have different optical components made. Uh, for example, for DUF, we've been using two different companies for two different lenses, you know, so it's all over the place. So in total, we have about five different optical companies that we're working with. And is that the same with the, the anamorphic, the 1.55 that you guys, is that out yet? Or is that going to be, that's going to be a Kickstarter coming? Uh, yeah, we, hopefully we're going to launch it in, uh, July. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know the pandemic, the pandemic has messed some dates around for you. Yeah, it did. Yeah, so that company, we are working with them since 2013 from like our first uh, like basic lenses that we introduced, uh, they've been making for us for DUF adapters, they, for original ones, they've been doing all the like achromatic lenses for us, uh, but then we switched to another company, but they do our M-series lenses, they did design, optical design for us. And uh, our Procedure 3X lens, it's also, and our anamorphic lens. And actually with anamorphic, we, oh my God, it was like a challenging process, but we did start with them. Then we uh, had to find another company because they couldn't make some, like, you know, optical performance wasn't good. So we start manufacturing with another company, but at the same time, we also did like three different, you know, versions with Kenko in Japan, but you know, cost of the manufacturing in Japan is much higher than in China. So that company who's making 155, uh, it's based on uh, our 133X and actual like mechanical design is pretty much the same as our Pro Series 133X lens. And we have designed pat patent for this lens filed back in 2016, so. Okay. Well, the 1.55, I've tested that and shot with it a lot. And that's a pretty fun lens. What was the idea? Why did you want to come up with that lens for a phone? So with when we started 1.33, it was like, okay, Moondog was the first company who introduced this lens. And we were the second uh, with our second Kickstarter, we released this lens. But from that time when we actually started working on that lens, we were like, okay, can we create something different? You know, because is there any other ways to create different type of anamorphic lenses that just gonna give you a different look? So our initial idea was 2X tally anamorphic and 2X uh, squeeze anamorphic lens. So, and it's been in process since, oh my God, like 2015 or something, but you know, with anamorphic lenses, it's so tricky. And I think uh, Moment also <laughs> has this experience when uh, they've been delivering Kickstarter rewards. It's really hard to achieve consistent performance from those uh, cylindrical lenses. So a lot of prototypes and sampling and testing, they were just not good enough. You know, they didn't perform as needed. So it was like with the app, we kind of started this and we 
didn't see any good, you know, uh, results, uh, then we put it on hold. And this company in China, uh, like the CEO of the company, his actual optical engineer, you know, so he was like telling us, okay, we can improve something. Do you want to try again? And then again, you know, the whole process all over, you change in all the mechanical design and all that stuff. And actually with 155X, um, when it was, we went to Photoplus was September. That's when we shot our first uh, sample video. That was just the last sample that kind of gave us results that were good enough to release this lens. And after that, we actually did improvement in uh, sharpness uh, towards the edges of the lens. So the final lens uh, gonna be really, really good in terms of optical performance. That's what you've been waiting on, I guess, just to get it to where you want it and then, then you'll launch the Kickstarter? Uh, no, I mean, our plan was uh, April for NAB show because we were planning to attend with B&H to be in B&H booth. That's when we wanted to kind of launch the Kickstarter, introduce actual final, you know, lenses. But then with uh, coronavirus, you know, <laughs> that plan kind of went sideways. And uh, with every single manufacturer we have, there are some problems and some delays, you know. Okay. So that's why we kind of put it on hold. So you so. would have been ready, but you're, but the pandemic and the virus really is what pushed it. Or, or were you still looking for the right combination of, you know, quality? Uh, no, the quality is set. I mean, okay. I think uh, we achieved the best uh, results that we can possibly achieve with this optical design, you know. And it's just a matter of when we can launch the campaign and start the actual manufacturing. At the end of the day, it's always, always like that when you have final samples that you approve, but you actually start mass producing some of the, you know, products. Like in 99% of the cases, there is something that can come up, you know, that went wrong. Yeah. So right now it's like, yes, we are ready, but I'm kind of sure that we're going to have some other challenges when we actually start producing them in a mass. So, yeah. Well, just a, it's always, you know, it's always something. Yeah. What, uh, just a couple more questions. Since you guys are mainly a hardware company mm -hmm. and you rely on Apple using their phones as the way that you produce your products. And then their phones tend to change periodically, mm -hmm. sometimes quicker than we all like because we spend a lot of money on these different um, accessories and then they don't work anymore. How do you approach that? In other words, like I know you just released the Beast Cage, which I really like a lot. Yeah. You just did one for the iPhone 11 and the iPhone 12 is gonna come out in about four months. I know it doesn't mean that your previous devices are not any good anymore, not at all, because phones, people keep their phones for three and four years. But how do you approach that being that the, the designs change and then you might end up with a surplus of products that you don't sell? Or do you, have you figured out a system to where you only order a certain amount or a limited run because you know how much you're going to sell? So with iPhones, it's, it's actually... I think it's not so dramatic thing when they release new phone okay. just because the lifespan of previous models is is long enough. There is still so many users that using older devices. So when we released uh, cages, we released from iPhone 7 till iPhone XS Max, you know, and I don't know if it was a mistake to go from iPhone 7, but right now new iPhone SE is the same as iPhone 7 and 8, so that cage works with this phone, you know? Oh, that's good. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, so it's exactly the same physical dimensions of the phone. Yeah, with cages, it's like, you know, why we start making those cages because of the feedback from some of the customers who actually shot Apple projects. Some of them, they were like, yeah, Beast Grip Pro is cool. I don't mind to adjust anything. And some of them were like, I need something solid that I don't have to adjust anything, you know? So that's what I mean. You cannot make a perfect product for everyone. If you're trying to make universal cage that's gonna work for a long time, it comes with own limitations compared to dedicated cage. But of course, dedicated cage is limited to a specific phone model. And in case with iPhones 11, why it took so long? Uh, because of ultra-wide camera <laughs> they introduced. Yeah. Uh, we had to come up with completely different approach how we are uh, utilizing lens mount portion. 
just because of such a wide field of view of that ultra-wide camera and we didn't want to have a cage that you cannot use ultra-wide camera with your cage, you know? It would be a deal breaker for many people. So we had to come up with something that you can quickly, you know, change it. And it took us a quite some time because we had different revisions with uh, lever mechanism that worked, but uh, it wasn't secure enough because you could open that lever by mistake. And if you have DOF adapter with some expensive lens, it just would, you know, fly down. Uh, so it took some time. And then, of course, pandemic, because we did expect uh, we couldn't make it on time before Chinese New Year. And then after that, everything started. So, right. you know. Well, so, but it sounds like what you're saying though, which is good, I'm glad to hear it, that a lot of your customers still buy your gear for older devices. And so the iPhone 11 is obviously still considered brand new, although everyone likes to look ahead to the next device, but the, the gear is still selling for models that are a couple of years old even. Yes, and especially for businesses, you know, we have um, business customers in um, auto industry when they're taking photos and videos for dealerships. Yes, they use primarily Beast Group Pro with Kenko lens, but they also, if they have specific devices, you know, they do use cages and a lot of them is iPhone 7. So there is many case, there are many cases, you know, of uh, business customers who still have older iPhones, they're still using them and even like end users, we also have iPhone 7, 8 in house. We shoot sometimes with those phones, but of course we have all the new models. So we prefer to shoot with latest and greatest, but you know, sometimes we also utilize those phones. I think that's the main difference between Apple and all other phones. When people asking why not creating dedicated cage for Samsung, you know, because in one year we're going to have five different phones from Samsung and next year five other phones and that cage gonna have like what two months of you know selling time right and after that nobody gonna use that older uh, you know android device but iphones they still been used for many years ahead so yeah no i i, I that's kind of what i thought and it seems like most iphone customers are willing to spend more money on accessories too and obviously apps as well versus android I'm not sure why that is. I guess because Android phones tend to be cheaper and they, I guess, are a little more widely available to people that don't want to spend as much money. Although Samsung, as you just mentioned, has some super expensive phones. And of course, I've read where Apple, and they did that with the recent SE, they have lowered the prices on some of their phones, which is great. Yeah. And we have a C, it's a great phone. You know, yes, it's not 11 Pro Max, but for this amount of money, for video, it's like the best you can get. And with Samsung, you know, we got the latest uh, Galaxy S20 Ultra and uh, <laughs> I don't want to think about that because uh, the cost of the phone and then, uh, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't work. It's, it's, you know, it's shame because it's not about hardware and it's a lot of those arguments like my phone has better hardware than your iphone you know iphone is bad why not making something for android it's like yes you have a sport car but you don't have a steering wheel for that car you know you're not gonna go far with that car it's the same you know you can have better hardware but if there is no software control for that hardware sorry you cannot achieve you know, great results with that because there is no way to control your camera. Yeah. So I don't know why Android doing that, like those manufacturers, why all these limitations and why some restrictions, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I don't have a lot of experience with Android. And um, so I, I've mainly, I mean, my channel is called the iPhoneographer, so you can see where I am. <laughs> yeah. But, and I'm not knocking Android at all. I just don't have much experience with it. And then Again, when it comes to video, I tend to I tend to think that Apple, you know, is the main has the market share of that crowd for sure. But and speaking of that, where do you? And this is purely speculation, but I am curious because you've been in this business a while and and you've seen how the phones develop. And you were just talking about how the technology's gotten so good and continues to progress. Well, where do you see this going in the next couple of years? Because I've talked to different guys like Chris Cohen over at Filmic Pro. You probably know who he is. Yep. And some other, you know, industry types that really believe that where we are right now with 
uh, smartphones is kind of where DSLRs were, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, even 10 years ago. When they first came around, they were amazing for what they were. They weren't great, but you could get the shallow depth of field and you could get really good results for a few thousand dollars because we were all coming from either small sensor cameras that were affordable, like the Canon HDV cameras, or you had to have the big boy, you know, whatever they were, HD cam or, you know, the Panasonic Vericam to be able to get that kind of a look, that more cinematic look. Do you think that smartphones moving forward will go into that category? I guess it depends on what Apple and the manufacturers do, but do you think the technology will advance kind of in the same vein as DSLRs and along that same thought? Do you think they'll be more widely accepted in the industry to use in more professional environments? I do think, and I actually always think a lot about what can be done next, you know? Yeah. And my take on this, I, th I know it's not going to happen, but what I would love to see on some of the next iPhones, you know, just quick example, Samsung, when they introduced, you know, adjustable aperture, I think it's an excellent idea, especially if you're trying to increase the size of the sensor, you know, because I definitely think you have to increase size of the sensor just at least a little bit, you know, <laughs> because we can see that from Samsung, we can see that from Huawei. But with that, we have another challenge and you have to control aperture somehow. I mean, it's completely like separate large topic, but what I would like to see larger sensor, more megapixels for one single reason. If I would increase sensor size and do 24 megapixels, I would eliminate telecamera completely, keep my ultra wide angle camera just because it's fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's cool to have, and you can shoot with ultra-wide camera anytime without any accessories. But then I would just introduce, you know, larger sensor, more megapixels to achieve two times zoom, just digitally, just utilizing larger sensors and more resolution. In post-production post or in camera? No, in, in camera, okay. because you can do looseless, you know, if you have 4K video, but you have 24 megapixel sensor, if you, somehow you can utilize it just to have lossless zoom, mm -hmm. that's what I would go with. Because you can see with all iPhones, uh, we always have the best sensor on the main camera and the rest is kind of eh, you know? Yes. So I would keep one, the best possible sensor, to use as a main shooter, as a telecamera with lossless zoom, keep ultra wide and introduce some aperture control because with larger sensor, yes, you're gonna get more shallow depths of field. It's gonna be much harder to control your focus for many people, you know, that's what I want to have, but I can understand sometimes it's gonna be challenging. And with this aperture control, you will be able to achieve, you know, more uh, larger depths of field, you know, so everything is in focus or achieve more shallow depths of field. And also better in low light. That's that's one of our, you know, yes. hurdles. Yeah, that's true. Because I think like if you ask me what is the biggest limitation, shallow depths of field and all that stuff. I mean, we have some lenses, we have different tools, so I can kind of live with that. Low light performance, definitely, you know, we everyone wants to achieve better low light performance. And then I'm happy with dynamic range. You know, there is nothing you can complain with iPhone 11 Pro if you're not happy with that dynamic range. It's like, I don't know what, you know, what you're trying to see from, you know, what kind of performance from your camera. But actually, you know, this thing with exposure when you cannot lock it, when it's uh, giving you different results depending on different ways you applied those settings in exposure that i think what is the biggest limitation yeah it's the, i don't know it's if the they dynamic, can fix it right it's the dynamic tone mapping yeah and it's because it was designed for photography and not video but they're applying it on the video side because obviously when you lock that on a photo nothing's moving but when you lock it on the video side your subject moves or you, you pan your camera and the stuff shifts. It drives me crazy. It really does. Uh, yeah, that's that's my biggest limitation, but uh, like complain and that's the biggest limitation. But at the same time, it's like, okay, you want to have this uh, dynamic range, right? <laughs> because take older iPhone that doesn't have any smart HDR or any uh, similar technology and just compare in the same environment with latest iPhone. I think... 
we just forget. We don't see how much technology is changing. We do not appreciate it if you don't have different devices that you can compare, you know, at any point of time and any shooting scenario. Because if you do compare, you'll be like, oh my God, there is a huge difference, you know, like. And I think even if they will increase sensor size, it's not gonna improve dynamic range just to be like clean how it works on other professional cameras. They have to utilize some kind of, you know, computational image and all this technology that they have right now to achieve those results. So I think it's not gonna go anywhere. That's what they're gonna continue to do. I'm just hoping it's gonna be some improvement because if you compare iPhone XS series, it's like the worst uh, iPhone, sorry, Apple that you can shoot with. I would take iPhone X instead of XS. That's when they introduced that, you know, smart AGR and stuff like that. Yeah, the AI on that one was way too aggressive. It made people's faces look like they were plastic. Yeah, yeah. And now with iPhone 11, we can see so much improvement in that space, you know. So I'm just hoping they're going to continue to improve this technology because, like, I don't see any other way in physical, you know, sensor size and stuff like that, how it can be improved. And they're definitely not going to increase sensor size to some crazy, you know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Well, no, they don't. I mean, they don't have room for one. It's, you know, there's a limitation. Yeah. And, you know, maybe they, you know, I know we're all, we're a small niche more or less in their eyes that want more professional features on the iPhone because they make it for consumers, obviously the general public. Yeah. But maybe they'll make a pro, a true pro version, a true pro version for us that want that kind of stuff. That would be great. And, you know, maybe the average consumer would be interested in some of that because cameras seem like they sell a lot of phones, new cameras. Yeah, that's true. I think it's one of the main selling points. And for them, it's like, I think they already kind of like, okay, we got this camera market (laughs) already, right? Because you don't have any point in shooting. But I think what can be the next step for them, uh, let's try to take more kind of pro level, not, I'm not talking about like actual cinema cameras, but mirrorless DSLRs probably next, you know? So I don't know, I'm just hoping they will utilize as much as new technology and improve on what they already have because it's a great, I love to shoot with, you know, iPhone and for me, it's like natural experience all the time because I know all the limitations. And again, I'm, I do not expect something, you know, <laughs> that uh, cannot be achieved with that device. And for me, it just works, you know. That's great. And I agree completely. For me, it's, it's a, as we discussed earlier, it's the, it ends up being the, what's the right tool for the job. And so for a lot of things these days, and especially on YouTube and for, I don't know, mobile journalism and documentary. I mean, phones come in really handy and can really do a lot of the heavy lifting that other cameras used to used to do. They really can. Last question here. Yep. The iPhone, we're talking about where that's going. Where is B-Script going? Where do you see B-Script in the next two to five years? Are you going to keep focusing on the hardware? Are you going to do more, more app? Are you going to continue in the same path? Where, where do you see you guys going? Uh, we're definitely going to continue with hardware. Uh, it's a lot of ideas there, especially in like an optical department, you know, with all the prototypes and DOF especially. I'm I'm not giving up on DOF yet, you know. <laughs> so, and uh, app, I think it's still a lot of work ahead of us, but I think we had a great start and yeah, it's a ton of ideas. Is the app, I can't remember, is the app free or is it a paid app? No, it's a paid app. It's $14.99. And uh, yeah, but we we are working on ton of different additional features. So I think it's gonna be, you know, a great addition to the whole app market for iPhones. And we have a big hopes, you know. I'm very glad. I'm very glad to see it because a lot of the apps I see that come out new routinely are more geared towards, and nothing wrong with this, but they're geared more towards the Instagram crowd or the social media crowd more than they are the mobile video and mobile filmmaker crowd. Yeah, that's true. And our goal is to give the apps that has like actual, you know, practical, usable tools 
and just apps that are going to give you good and reliable results. So, you know, because sometimes shooting with iPhone or any other smartphone, especially other smartphone, can be very frustrating. And, you know, we're just trying to create the apps that takes off as much of frustration as possible. Once you, of course, learn uh, some of those, you know, features, like with any other software. In general, we still have, like, a lot of things ahead of us, you know, in terms of technology improvement and uh, apps going to improve. And I think we're going to see a great, great performance from smartphone cameras. I hope it's not going to go anywhere. I hope the form factor of the smartphone is not going to change dramatically. You know, we're not going to get implants <laughs> anytime soon. Right. And yeah, it's exciting. I, I really passionate about, uh, you know, smartphone filmmaking and photography. It's, it's already, what, eight years since I started. So... Yeah, I have fun, having fun every day with that. That's great. It's come a long way, and I, I I'm with you. I think it's going to continue to progress, and I'm I'm excited about it as well. Well, hey, thank you very much for taking time to chat with me today. I hope people got a, uh, or I'm actually I'm sure people got a, a nice insight into your company because again, you're one of those companies that everybody knows about. But and I know you go to a lot of the different trade shows and such, but as someone who interacts with a lot of the industry people in mobile video and mobile filmmaking, I didn't know that much about you. So I think it's, it's a cool story. And I'm also an entrepreneur myself. And so I love the entrepreneurial spirit you guys bring. You know, it's like an indie filmmaking spirit you guys bring to iPhone accessories and iPhone and smartphone film production. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and, and you know, we always, our mindset is not like, it has to be commercially like a business uh, type of plan. Even when we create some of the products that we release, even if it's like very niche market, but it gives some unique, you know, opportunity to actually expand the capabilities of your camera and achieve different and great looking results. We always like, hey, let's make it, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Where can everybody find you what what's the best place is it your website is it your is it your social media tell me where you want people to check you out yeah our website is beastgrip.com and we are uh, on instagram on youtube twitter facebook uh but yeah our website i think we got all the information and links over there so okay. you guys can check out you know products and stuff so yeah the, no the normal places <laughs> yeah all right. Well, thank you again, and I will uh, talk to you soon. Thank you, Blake. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I actually learned a lot. To me, it's always interesting to hear about the behind the scenes, how to get things made, especially when you're talking about a small company like his. As I mentioned to him, I love the entrepreneurial spirit. And it's also great that he does what he loves. And so, yeah, I applaud him. And I really do like the B-Script gear. I also really hope that he's right about that larger sensor coming in an iPhone. I know it's pure speculation, but man, if that happened, it really would blow the door open. I mean, I use my iPhone all the time right now for B-roll especially. But if something like that came along, especially to help with the low light side of things. That's my biggest complaint, really. I would use my iPhone almost all the time. So thank you again to Vadim for being on the show today. And thank you guys for listening. This has been another episode of Almost Professional, and I'm your host, Blake Calhoun. Stay safe, stay creative, and I will talk to you in the next episode. <laughs>